0: Welcome to Composer Talk. I'm your host, Matthew Wong. As a film and TV composer, I love talking to others about their backgrounds, composition techniques, music tech, and more. We all watch films, TV, and digital media and know the important role that scoring plays in storytelling. I want to invite you to join me on this adventure to learn more about the artists who are behind the scenes creating the music. If you want to learn more about the people interviewed on this podcast, make sure to follow us on our socials. And if you enjoy Composer Talk, please take the time to rate and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your preferred listening site is. Hey everyone, just wanted to take a quick second to shout out our friends at QDB.com. That's C-U-E-D-B.com. QDB is a cloud-based software that allows you to make your own customizable cue lists for spotting, composition, orchestration, mixing, and cue sheet delivery. If you'd like to try it out, use the code Composertalk for 15% off for one year. Our next guests created Skybox Audio, an innovative sample library company that just released their first collection of virtual instruments called hammers and waves, now available at skyboxaudio.com. I'm very excited to welcome on to the podcast Azrul Saleh and Danny Dunlap. Hey. Hey Matt, thanks for having us.
1: Yeah, appreciate it very much.
0: For sure. Uh I mean, I- I've had such an awesome time working with hammers and waves now for I mean, it's only been a couple days here, but man, you guys just really killed it with this.
2: <laughs> well, thank you. It's so, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's been like the response has been pretty incredible. So we're, we're excited. For sure. Yeah.
0: And it's funny because, I mean, I think Danny, I heard you say this in an interview already, but you know, it's like with composers or producers, like pianos, they come yeah. free with any DAW and they come, right. They're, they're so available, but most of us can never seem to get the right sounds out of what's so the thousands of sample libraries available.
2: <laughs> right. I mean, I think, yeah, that's the reason why there's so many, right? I mean, it's, it's one thing, I think, to, you know, to hear a demo and, and say, hey, this instrument sounds really cool. And then, you know, to put it into practical use, like, you know, sometimes those things fall flat. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of great, you know, piano products on the market, but but not, you know, they're not good for everything. Um, and that's why I think also there's, there's so many. Um, and I think for me, in creating this, like, you know, I just wanted to have sort of a, a collection that was flexible enough to, you know, stand up to the rigors of like the types of stuff that I do, which is super varied. Um, uh, and so that's, you know, kind of, we were coming from that angle. Like we want, we want this thing to, to be able to, you know, work its way or feel comfortable and, and sit in a mix in any sort of situation or style, which is a challenging endeavor, but rewarding when it's, when you, when you get it right. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So like um we are musicians where we use these tools on a daily basis. And so we, we've, we're coming at it from an angle of like what we're developing the tools to see what do we want to use it and how it, how we want it to um, behave. And so there's a certain um, market to these instruments where Um, it's got to sit right with the mix and what we're producing. And I think we achieved it with this collection of uh, keyboard collection. Um, That's 10 of them. And so whatever that you're trying to um, record or make music with, it's like, it's it's definitely within the bundle. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah.
0: And was there any other thought in terms of like other instruments to put out first or did you, I mean, I know that there's this whole aspect of, you know, a sampling robot, which maybe we should talk about because I think that's really, really
2: interesting. <laughs> well, I mean, we can we can back it up maybe and start at, like at the at the beginning. So, like for you sure. said, yeah, you know, um, you know, I've been a working composer for, I mean, more years than I probably should admit, but um, you know, for a long time. And uh, about five years ago, I found myself um, with an assistant that was that was moving on. And, um, you know, and I was consequently like in the, about to go on a a two week trip. And so I needed somebody who could come in and really, really quickly, like learn my workflow and understand like where, you know, where everything was and, and how to, um, you know, fulfill the duties that I was leaving behind while I was off, you know, traipsing the globe. Um, and so I was so fortunate. I mean, um, and I both, uh, attended berkeley at different times but berkeley college of music and and the berkeley career manager is uh such an amazing resource for all the alumni if you you know uh, and so was able to to you know to find us real through through that and so it's funny because you know i want to say maybe we you maybe trained for like maybe four days max before i just like left you t- like to you know left you in the fire for for All like right. a for like two whole weeks um Azrul was holding it down like delivering stems and making music edits and pro- i can't even remember probably making fixes and um you know his his skill set is seemingly endless but but yeah so then i came back and um was glad that i hadn't lost any work because Azrul was holding it down and um and then uh, we just sort of started working you know in a normal sort of composer assistant relationship and he was amazing. And then, uh, you know, I've always been, um, a tinkerer. So I'm always making stuff, building stuff like, you know, fooling with different things. And, and my kids, you started in September and for Christmas that year, my kids got me a 3d printer because they know I'm, you know, I'm always goofing and making stuff. And so, so on that winter break, um, you know, I had to like draw, like made in CAD this like single finger, Um, and I had this idea, like I'll mount it to a mic stand and put a solenoid on it from like a player piano system and, and, you know, uh, have it press the keys. And it was very like crude, but you know, I pulled it off, you know, wrote some Arduino code and and had it working. And I showed it to us and he's like, yeah, well, that's cool. But you know, you should probably like put it on a linear actuator and do all this stuff. And I'm like, well, that, I mean, that's not really, I wasn't like looking to go that far into it, but like the whole reason I like to tinker. I just like to learn stuff. I'm super curious. And, and so I'll just never forget like the day that like, you know, I, I, he like sort of was like, Hey, well, let me look at your code. And I was like, okay, you know, not completely not knowing like what was about to happen. And then the next day I come in and he had like completely rewritten everything. And at first I was like, bro, like, what are you doing? Like rewriting all my code. But then I, it took me like a day to like go, Oh, holy crap. Like this is actually genius. Like what he's doing here is really like, and, and, and he's like, you know, a hundred times the coder that I am, but I didn't know that at the time. So it was kind of a funny. So once that sort of got unlocked, the floodgates kind of open. And before we even, you know, before we finished skybox, we, you know, I mean, before we finished hammers and waves, we had finished many kooky projects like that we've somehow got ourselves into. Like we made a bunch of, uh, guitar pedals and we, uh, ended up, um, Making an authoring environment for a haptic wearable that a friend had developed, and just like kooky stuff that we would get sucked into just because we were having fun um and you know all all the while sort of you know developing the the robot for uh the sampling piano sampling robot that we call the keybot um that's what we call it, but uh, uh not for branding, but just so we have something to call it yeah <laughs> um, yeah, um it's a good name, but then. Yeah, but that's sort of that's how it grew. It just like and then, you know, at a certain point we realized like, man, wow, like our skill sets together like we can really like accomplish a lot of things. It's kind of neat like to be able to, you know, sort of uh, you know, complement each other in a way where you feel like, wow, there's really pretty much not anything that we can't pull together, you know, between the two of us. So, we just started the first endeavor was definitely building the robot which was quite a um quite a task because we were so meticulous about it like you know to build you know to build a you know to build something with a solenoid and arduino and that you know sort of you know can press a key is one thing but to build a robot that you know is silent during operation presses the key when the solenoid is is precisely the same temperature at every note strike so because you know the whole thing is about precision right and there's a law in magnetism as the magnet heats up you lose power and so it, the, the strength of a magnet is not like a constant depending on the heat. So, you know, the, the bot always records. Right now it's calibrated to I know I just happen to remember this 105 degrees. So it only strikes the key when the solenoid is exactly 105 degrees. So, you know, like those hurdles were interesting for us to, you know, to get around. But we did it. We, we succeeded. And then, and then, you know, then it was kind of like, what do we do with it?
1: <laughs> yeah. I'll just add that um, neither Danny nor I have uh, like formal background in electrical engineering or nor do we have background in like um, computer science. We created this robot just because we are passionate for it. We like creating stuff, right? And so what started as an idea, it grew um, like then said, he just printed a finger, and then uh, the the it, it kind of grew into like oh let's let's put two fingers so that we can hit like one white and one black keys, and I was like oh the next time it's like let's put it on a rail so that it can go across and you know fast forward down it's like a fully automated robotic system and <laughs> I, it's it's great like I I think when we look back at it the achievements that we've done considering what. Uh, we have to go through like learning everything. It's it's like it's surreal sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. I mean, it's it's all
2: it's still to this day when we when we record. Like the cool thing now is you know because we it, and this is a testament to to Asrul and, and one of the reasons why we're a good team is you know I'm definitely more fly by night, seat of the pants. Like if it's kind of working, that's probably good enough. Like I just like to keep moving, and Asrul is very like, well, hold on a second, let's like make sure that you know, that this is consistent and repeatable, you know, and so like between the two of us, me pushing the boundaries of what, you know, what we think we can do and him sort of slowing us down to make sure that we've done it right. Like it's still a trip to watch this thing calibrate itself across the keyboard because it, you know, one of the cool things that it does. And one of the reasons why hammers and waves is so responsive is it will play each note, as softly as possible until it actually makes a sound and the robot listens for an actual note and then it marks that voltage as this is the softest possible sound that this key can play. And so the cool thing is, is like, you know, the low velocities of this instrument are the absolute minimum amount of force that you can apply to make the hammer strike the string. And so you get like this really full dynamic range, which is something that we were, you know, passionate about trying to capture. For sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, I, I guess we would probably notice, but for anyone who's interested in sampling pianos, like, I'm sure we might all agree that it's exactly a thing of like, it, it's getting the quietest velocities and the quietest notes out of the piano. It might not actually seem realistic and because <laughs> I don't think most pianists would try to play like that in real life, but it does create a really expressive virtual instrument right. that just sounds really... Full of character, right? I know when I stankfolded uh um, Steinway, I did in college. Like it was such a nightmare trying to hit the key as quietly <laughs> and consistently as possible, right? And then even then, the one I I still use to this day. Like I I know it's C four. You'll hear a little gasp of breath because I was just holding it, <laughs> holding it <in> too long, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, that's the
2: cool thing about the bot too. Is we can do an entire grand piano, it, the whole sequence of. You know, it records releases, you know, and sixteen velocities also have releases. and um the whole process takes about forty eight hours for it to do an eighty eight key piano um wow. and it and it just that we've had more issues with vintage mics crapping out mm-hmm. than the the than the robot screwing up. It's usually some other piece of studio gear, like and that is like the worst because it's autonomous, you know you know, we're only sort of paying attention to what it's doing because it's just running. It's like watching paint dry, right? It's doing its thing. But, I mean, there are, you know, there are systems in place where if something's gone awry, it, it alerts us. But, you know, definitely in the process, we've had several times where, you know, we're using a great vintage tube mic and all of a sudden the tube starts sputtering. But, you know, we don't realize it until 45 minutes later because, you know, we're recording 20 microphones and you have them all wide open and you go back and you go, wait, you look at the waveform and you're like, what is that anomaly on the waveform? And then you realize like, oh, for like the last 45 minutes, this mic has been sputtering. So you got to go back. But still, I think, you know, to be able to produce, um, you know, a fully deep sampled piano in 48 hours is, you know, is something that we'll lean on as we move forward um, with updates and, and possibly, a, you know, um, other, you know, a whole other, other products. Um, it's exciting. We've got, we've got a bunch of stuff like, I mean, we haven't really talked about this, but you heard it here first. We've got some things in, in the can that, you know, will definitely be, um, busting out, you know, in the next, like who knows, but definitely in the next year. Um, if not sooner. So yeah, it's, uh, the robot is, it was a real challenge, but the reward is just watching it go and not knowing that you don't have to do what it's doing. <laughs>
1: yeah. right. Uh, I'll just add that, like um, the way we develop this thing, is it's, it totally doesn't need our attention. Um, we would set it up, for example, because, like Danny said, it's, it the whole process takes up about forty eight hours. We would set it up on a Friday night. After calibrating, we just hit go and we leave the studio. Like there is z- zero people, like no nobody in the studio, and uh, we will come back on Monday morning. And the samples will be all recorded and trimmed and
2: labeled. <laughs> well now you're flexing
1: <laughs> but he's right it's true it, it's, it is it is uh, truly a uh, fully automatable like system so uh, once we come back it will just be that's when um, like Danny said like uh, the vintage mics will be like oh okay that's that's nice and that's where we were like, okay fine so let's set up a, a range from here to here and then we pick up the recording again right so it just kind of like we can our final recordings are going to be the absolute pristine um, samples that you can get. So if there's any uh, distortion or like anything that needs to be fixed, we can redo it with ease. Right. So that's one of the benefits of our- And
2: accuracy, like, and accuracy, like, you know, there's a unreleased um, instrument that we did for for someone as sort of a boutique one-off and, you know, it was in a super like well-known studio but they have a, they're near the Santa Monica train. And so every once in a while, you know, obviously the, the studio is soundproof, but the low end thing just, it just happens. So every once in a while there would be this thing that would happen and to be able to go, oh, um, you know, on a zero, you know, velocity three, the, the train went by, like, let's just go back and pick that up and to see that the, you know, that it's exactly the same strike that's, you know, I don't know. It brings me, we've, we're doing a lot of talking, but. Like, I guess that's why we're here. Like somebody had mentioned on a message board a few days ago, you know, for people, it's funny, like we were a little bit nervous about coming to market, like leading with the, in fact, like when we first were deciding to put it out, I almost wanted to bury the whole robot thing that like, because as far as like, a you know, letting people know, because I I think, you know, people have an aversion to, you know tech, you know, that sort of technology and music, and they think that it's like going to make it sound cold or whatever. And, and like our philosophy on it is, is this, what we are capturing is the honest response of the instrument. And because there's not, because we're not trying to fix it, or I think other sample, sample libraries, you know, that are recorded by, you know, by people, obviously the goal is, this velocity is this loud. The next velocity needs to be louder in amplitude. Maybe you even have a guideline. The next velocity needs to be, you know, two, you know, 2.5 dB louder or whatever you're, you know, however you're tracking it. But that may not be the real response to the instrument. So, like, what the way that I see the robot is, it removes that um, human point of view from someone interpreting how loud they think the velocity should be, and you get to be right there and touch how loud it actually is. So for example, you know, we all know instruments are made of wood and metal, and these are materials that move and, and stretch. And and it's very well possible that, you know, if you apply, you know, 1.2 newtons of force to a particular key, it it comes out at this amplitude. And the very next key next to it you apply 1.2 Newtons of force, and it could be 0.3 dB quieter. And that's just the nature of the way that, you know, natural materials work. And I think, you know, if you're only, only making your velocity layers based on matching all of the amplitudes, you're really like deleting all of those intricacies, you know, and so that's, I don't know, that's something that we were really passionate about too if that makes any sense. So I feel like, you know, yes, we use the robot, but from our perspective, it's it's only making you closer to the real thing.
0: Right. And especially if you have that many more level, like, yes, if it's, you know, one velocity layer per every three notes or something, I don't think that made sense. But anyways, like, yeah, Yeah. then of course, like, (laughs) yeah, you might want a great performer because each note should have as much character as possible. But if you're just capturing as many variations of a note as possible. And the performer can really, you know, give that instrument life, even if it is a digital recreation of a piano or. That's it. I mean, that's the idea
2: is like, I'm not gonna tell you how loud these notes should be. You are gonna decide that. Mm-hmm. Like, And I'm not gonna stand in your way as a developer and, and and interpret how I think the the instrument should be structured as far as a response. Like this is, it is what it is. Like this note was hit with the same force as that note and the next velocity is hit with X amount of force. I mean, theoretically, if we wanted to do a massively insanity, like 127 velocity piano, I mean, of course we could because, you know, the, the bot can do whatever we want it to do. But I think, you know, at a certain point you got to be reasonable and think about, you know, hard drive space, (laughs) but, but, um, for sure. (laughs) but
0: yeah, anyway. Well, uh, one other question in terms of what you mentioned with the studio in Santa Monica with the train going by and low end. Like I remember, I mean, the last time I sampled a piano, I think was two years ago. And I stupidly decided to help my friend do it on July 4th and their fireworks <laughs> going off, <laughs> uh,
1: which,
0: you know, floating room, I didn't expect that to, to make its way into certain right. note recordings. So yeah. uh, what what studio do you record out of and like uh, for, for, for the majority of your instruments or are- I guess we could talk about the ones here in this case. Right. No, I mean, all of these are recorded here
2: um, at what we call Skybox Studios, which is my, my studio, where, gotcha. I've, where I compose from, um, you know, and um, because, uh, you know, as, as Rule said, it gave us, especially in development, the most leeway to make, you know, be more risky, make more mistakes and sort of fast track the development of the, of the robot as hardware. And so that, yeah, so everything is recorded here and it's it's a fantastic room. I, It's a really, it's kind of a mess right now. but Well, I'm, it's funny, I'm picking up my laptop as if I'm using my laptop <laughs> camera, but I'm not. I'm using a different camera. So you I'll can't get. see, but you'll have to trust me. Right over here is a nice big live room. Um, we'll probably post some pictures uh, on the Instagram at some point, but um, yeah. I'm fortunate enough to have a, a, a really nice facility here. And so we recorded everything here. It's a, it, And also we learned early on when we did try... And actually, you know, what? it's funny, this, the, the Santa Monica story is one of three different offsite projects that we tried during development. That was the only one that was successful. That was one of three offsite uh, instruments that we tried to record. Um, And the other two, we had massive, like one of them, you know, halfway through one of the super high end, you know, it was a Neumann um, stereo vintage tube mic. And I can't remember the model number because I don't own one, but it was very cool sounding mic. You know, one of the sides just went out Mm. and and, you know, we were 18 hours into the record and it was just kind of we had to abort, which was a heartbreaker. But it's like, well, you know, what are we going to do? And so in that same way, one of the other studios, you know, it was gear problem so we like we like keeping it here because we know everything works you know when you take something off site and you want to record for 48 hours straight stuff can get a little dicey it's like you know if you're in the studio you're making a record and you're and you're you know and you've got a dirty patch and you're like oh man that acoustic guitar has got some weird stuff you just you know take the patch cable out and put it back in a couple of times and you just keep going but when it's like just running autonomously like everything has to work always which is a challenge that we. Definitely learned the hard way. (laughs) There was, there was a lot of heartbreak.
1: The, the, the final, um, product that we samples, um, they are, they are pristinely recorded and they are in a very controlled environment. So Danny's studio is, um, located in a very residential area, uh, which is a very, uh, uh, like, you know, uh, quiet and you get little traffic. And so when, um, it also helps that we were developing it in this studio as well. And then you had a collection of uh, keyboard instruments. And so it kind of like came naturally that we were developing. And like, there you go, right next to us is a piano. And we just like brought the thing, stuck it on there, and then just right. recorded it. And then we were like, you know, you should do this for real. <laughs> and we, um, we just started pointing microphones at it. and. Um, uh, Danny, uh, called on his friend, Dana Nielsen, to help with the process. If you guys, I mean, you can check out Dana's
2: credits, but Dana is a, uh, an incredible recording engineer, Grammy nominated, like happens to be a good surf buddy of mine and a, and a musical collaborator for years and years, but, um, we're lucky right. to have, we're lucky to have him, um, overseeing the tones and, and, uh, yeah, so it's, 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 kind of, it's definitely a, a dream team and all, you know, my, again, I'm like, you know, just the, my, our facility here is, is all, um, completely hermetically sealed. Like it was designed by, a you know, a very well-respected studio designer named Vincent von Hoff, um, who unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago, but he designed this place and we built it and it's, it's totally bulletproof, <laughs> um, so, yes. yeah. And, and that's another thing that we learned about different environments is, you know, the more noise obviously around, the worse you are in post-production. So my place, you know, is a very controlled environment. So so we record everything here because it is, um, it's just about control, you know?
1: And it's a great space too. Like, well, yeah. it, it's, it's not too big. Like it doesn't have like too much of like a, those, like very wet sound, but it's not too small either. It's got like a nice balance of like diffusion and absorption. It's just like, it's a very balanced sound, like yeah. that you can throw into any of your composing, uh, to, to your writing and it will like fit very well. And together with the, um, uh, mic selections that you have, you can like choose between like, do you want an intimate sound where you can like dial in to be very close to the piano or do you want it to be a far mic where you can just pull it draw back so we have that those controls in the software that you can uh, set to uh
0: yeah that's really what i mean i want to ask you a bit about some of like you know the technical background because i feel like when i also moved to la i was like doing a lot of techie gigs uh Mm -hmm. whether it was like sound design for like eventide or output and at the back of my mind though all uh, that whole time i was about just like how to improve upon the tech stuff for the sake of efficiency when composing uh and Mm. i know you do music for video games uh you you compose for for other mediums as well and i was curious like do you feel like the tech stuff and like the interest and all that came from a necessity for composing or do you think it's just two separate worlds that are somewhat parallel i
1: i actually am uh I, i i really like the tech side of the industry, actually. Like, here's in point, like, I uh, went to college at Berklee College of Music, right? Mm-hmm. And during my time there, I took on a lot of courses that interest me. And um, a, bunch of it, uh, a bunch of it relates to video game scoring. And the thing that was important to me at the time was it introduced to me the concept of programming. And um, I remember very fondly, like my professor in my final year, he kind of like gave me the option. Like he just sat me down, I was like, "Hey, Azrol, you have an option for your final project. Like you can either take an existing game and write music to it, or create a video game from scratch and write music to that." And I was like, "Yes, <laughs> I was like, let's let's do it. Uh, because why not? It sounds like fun to me. That sounds like fun, right?" So I I went deep into unity which is the uh, video game development software Uh, i started learning all um, the c-sharp programming language which is how we all started and like trying to tie in wise and like at the end of it i figured out how to connect like four xbox controllers to my macbook projecting it in class and everyone was playing it and it was fun it was like it it Kind of really, it really sparked my interest in programming and I knew that there was something there that I really wanted to pursue. Right. So, um, after graduation, uh, I moved over to LA. Right. And mm-hmm. that's where my skill set as a programmer came to be useful because I'm, I started getting gigs to develop contact, um, scripting, like uh, to, to develop custom instruments. Right. Uh, because a lot of professional composers, they have, their own samples that they want, they wish to have to be playable and such. And um, I would get calls to basically like, hey, could you do this and this and this? Like, I want to have a, a skin for it. I want to have it to be able to do this. And I got a, a number of gigs like that And because that's a market for it. You know, fast forward. Uh, every, every time I, I do those things, I would share it with Danny. I would just show it to him. It's like, hey, check out what I did. Can kind I of think, you know, and then he saw that. And we were like, we got to do something about this. Like, he, we just like, that's how the uh, Skybox uh, audio journey began. And, you know, somewhere along the process, we decided to build a robot to sample <laughs> pianos. Uh, but, like, that's, that's the short version of it. Yeah.
0: Gotcha. I mean, I was just going to say, like, I mean, the key bot is a big part of this, but I think that, you know, there's so many other presets too, sound designy you know, patches and whatnot that we didn't. Right. Even really that's, what gonna, that's what I was
2: going to, that's what I was going to bring up is, you know, that's definitely like the, as far as the response so far from the public, like I was not, um because we have a point of view, right? Like we always try and have a point of view the, the market's too saturated to not have a point of view. And what was the most, surprising and satisfying to me as we've start, you know, releasing these to th- that people are, they understand where we're coming from. Like, and I was kind of shocked, like, and it, it has to do with the presets, like, and, and the, the reason that we can have such cool and inspiring presets is because Asrul is a mad genius. And, you know, every time I would say, well, can we make it do this? He would say, yes. Like it got to the point where I could tell he wanted to say no, but he would still say yes. So we just kept (laughs) pushing and pushing until we, you know, uh, got to where we where we got to. And and I think one of the most satisfying things of, you know, that over the I mean, we've only been launched for a week, but it's been like I've been a composer for a long time. I do a lot of advertising. Right. That's mostly what I do. I mean, I do work on some films and some shows, but I do a lot, a lot, a lot of ads which is something I enjoy because of the variety, mm-hmm. um, which I spoke about earlier, which is why, you know, we strive to kind of have these instruments be so flexible. But the cool and not cool thing about doing ads as a composer or as an as a quote-unquote artist is you, you write a piece and you find out if anybody likes it in four hours, maybe eight hours max. Like you write something and you get instant validation, right? It's not like, you know, I came from the world of bands and, and making records and and that reminds me i wanted to bring up i saw you interviewed one of my former bandmates uh, a few episodes ago siddhartha kosla i was in Goldspot you know like from the very beginning and and bailed to go do other stuff but sid and i are still in touch a little bit i actually spoke with him i found i was cleaning out the garage uh, a couple last weekend and i found some old gold spot photos and i was texting them to him and i when i saw that, that he was on the podcast it's like oh that's cool But, um, but so coming from bands and, and, um, you know, and, and the world of records where it's like, when you're making an album honest, you know, obviously like there's such a long time horizon before you get feedback, you know? And so ads are very different. It's very like, Hey, I wrote something. Do you like it? Oh, you like it? Cool. Hey, I wrote something. Do you like it? Oh, you don't like it? That's fine. Let's go on to the next one. It's like a different, like, it's a different sort of like dopamine cycle for somebody who's creating stuff. So like, anyway, just for us to spend you know we this endeavor took you know several years like through from from its very first inception like to for people to get it basically i was like wow that's like that feels good that feels really different that um, people are understanding like and the point of view is you know is nobody likes to get an instrument with a lot of presets that suck and we all have them you know and maybe and, and suck is a harsh word i would say are unusable for most musical situations you know and so we spent a lot of time curating and, and, and tweaking and paring down our presets. And we teamed up with um, Outlier Studios, some really talented people, to do the presets. And we kind of split it down the middle and, uh, and you know, curated the stuff that they had done. And because you know, we sort of had a laser focus on what we were trying to achieve. But yeah, it was the presets were very, very, very important to us. And, and we spent a lot of time making sure that each and every one was, you know, and I told, and when we were in the development process, like this was my litmus test, right? I told Azrul, if I sit down and I play a note and I don't want to play another note, that's a problem. <laughs> so that was pretty much the test. It's like, is it pulling me in and making me feel something and want to keep going, you know? And so we tried to to build that into every single one of the 500 presets that comes with Hammers and Waves, which was quite an endeavor. It's, Yeah. Yeah, we aim we aimed high on this one, and and it you know was it was a lot of work, but it's very gratifying to be to finally have it out there for everyone to to check out for
0: sure. And yeah, just like I've, one of the the best bits of advice I ever got from uh, a friend at the Ableton team in Berlin was I think I forgot which Ableton device it maybe it was Pedal I think which has just come out, but they were saying that like. It's always harder to make a thi- like a, a musical device that has less knobs, where the user will understand how to you know create a million different sound possibilities out of you know three knobs, right. than just to give a million knobs and then the right. three knobs that get used are preset next, preset left, and volume. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
2: That's great. It's so true. I mean, look, you know, and I'm and we're sensitive to that. Like I'm st- I'm not, I, and I was like, like it's not uncommon for for us to be cranking out two or three ads a day here. Right. Like just oh, yeah. me announce rule. And so it's like, it's, it's crunch time, man. Like you don't have, you know, as the, as the great saying goes, ain't nobody got time for that. Like you got to just get to it. You know what I mean? You know, listen, if you're on an expanded schedule and, and you're working on a film and you can, you know, um, have the luxury of going out to do a bunch of location recording and and do a bunch of, of your own sound design. And, and, you know, that's a different thing and that is wonderful and beautiful. And and I love that process as well, but you know, in the, you know, a lot of us are just in the dirt, making it happen, you know, like you just got to get it done. And if you can do it while being inspired and, and it makes it easy, like that was our goal is like functional, inspiring, and, you know, um, we definitely spent, al- although, you know, once you look under the hood, there are plenty of controls. We spent a lot of time trying to make it as easy to interact with as possible. Like pages and pages and pages of like gooey drawings and like charts and arrows and, you know, random thoughts in the shower, texted while wet, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know just like, you know, whatever it took to try and make it, uh, you know, make it work.
1: Yeah. And I think, uh, the the thing about uh, this thought is it is re- represented in the user interface of the software, right? Because when you're presented to it, um, all you see is a picture of the instrument that you're dealing with, five knobs at the bottom, presets at the top left. That's it. And the idea of it is to, we, we understand because we're mu- musicians too, that when musicians are using our tools, we want them to just be inspired to just have the limited controls is a bonus in a sense that just uh you go through presets and if you want to tweak you try the five knobs first right so it's meant to spark your creativity and uh, go from that if that doesn't work go next presets, right. and uh, it also allows you to if you want to start tweaking and um once you're at that stage you can we give you that possibility so you can click on the text and you can go in and then we we don't leave anything behind because if you want to change a a a parameter of a sound you can absolutely do that we give you the absolute flexibility but it's more of a we understand that musicians when you're writing you want to stay creative you want to write you want to be engaged to what your goal is your objective is which is to write music and that's how we structure it. And it's, it's reflected in our design language.
2: Right. You know, it's funny when that like when that really came into focus for me as rule. Well, and I don't know if we've ever even talked about this is like in the middle of development, we took, I want to say like a nine month break to um, develop this authoring environment for this haptic wearable that was developed. Oh, yeah. um, uh-huh. what, That was developed for um, hearing impaired uh people to be able to feel music and it's, and the device is insane. It's like the most highly, it's like at the most high resolution of any haptic device that anyone has ever put on. It does so much crazy stuff. And when we, in the middle of our software development for that, I, I kind of like just this concept came to me is like the whole thing that we're trying to do as developers is first you have an idea, right? And then you have to like realize that idea and the software and all the tools are what's in between. And what our goal is, is to compress that timeline to as small as possible, like, so that when someone has an idea and they're using your tool, it is realized in like the quickest manner. So like, th- like that sort of concept is what, um, you know, what drives us a lot to make our decisions with the UI and, and, um, you know, just in, in, in general, kind of guides us. To, to get
0: all deep and stuff. For sure. <laughs> uh, well, cool. I, I just want to ask the last question would be about, well, I don't know if you can, I mean, you, you already teased that there might be some new stuff coming, but what um, instruments or what kinds of like uh, plugins or things do you, do you find yourself using on a normal basis where that you feel could be improved upon? That I feel can be
2: improved upon? That's a great question. Do I was you like the way to, that
0: string samples work generally with mod wheel controlling dynamics? Or well, I have a,
2: things? I have a, I mean, just like anything else that we do, like my orchestral setup is super tricked out. Like, mm-hmm. like we, you know, I don't know, Osrul and I are super nerdy. And if you haven't figured that out by now, you know, talking about <laughs> robots and things. Um, so my orchestral rig is, is, is dialed, you know, I've got a custom lemur template. Mm -hmm. And one of the most, one of the things that I'm most proud of is I'm, and I've always been this way, I am 100,000% anti key switch. I've always been like, I hate key switches. There are not a single key switch in my template. So what we do is we've made a custom, we've made custom MIDI maps, custom lemur template. So when I'm changing articulations in a lane, it's printing program changes. So they're always retrospective, right? So no matter where I start my piece, it starts on the right articulation. I don't got to go back and play over some key switch. I feel like that's like, if you're still doing that, like you're blowing it. Like that makes no sense to me. So like, is that key based
0: expression maps?
2: uh, Well, I I work in Pro Tools. So it's just, it's just the, the literally the Pro Tools program change automation lane. And so we have custom MIDI maps so that when I change articulations, the name of the articulation appears in the lane, right. so I can un- I can look at my stuff and always know. I mean, there's probably plenty of other people that are doing it the same way, but um, but that's so so yeah. I mean, so as far as string samples, I mean, I think I I honestly think we probably have recorded enough string samples for like the next eight generations. Personally, like I, I like I, I don't sad. know. I'm just I have the ones that I like and I use them. And, um, you know, obviously, there's always things are always developing. And, and, you know, the playability thing is something that, you know, that's the thing that can be improved upon, you know, I mean, and obviously, if you're doing doing some sort of new playability uh, experiment, it may require some new sampling, um, whether you know, if you're doing some sort of advanced legato scripting, or, or something like that, those sorts of things, I think, um, are exciting to me. But as far as like, recording new string libraries, like just for the sake, I just don't, I don't know. I might be shooting myself in the foot here because we might release a string library next and somebody will find this this and and call me out on it. But, but I mean, we're, if we do, if we were to release a string library, it would 100% have a strong point of view. You know, it's like, I'm not, as a company, we're not interested in, in, in competing in a space that's so crowded with just something that sounds good. There's so many things out there that sound good. It's got to be special. It's got to spark something like what I would love to, you know, for the future. I think a goal would be when we're five, six, seven instruments down the road, people to when we come out with something for them to know that it's going to sound a certain way to develop, to I mean, I mean, I'm coming at this like this is super heady, but coming you know, like I'm a jazz musician, you know, first and foremost. And so like coming at it from a jazz point of view, you know, you are, you know, your, your mission as a, as a jazz musician is to develop your voice, right. To, to internalize all of the things that you're learning and have them come through you in your own way. And so I think like that as a, as a sample company, I think that we would strive to do the same thing is, is develop our own voice so that people know when a, a new Skybox product comes out, that they, they have an idea of what it's going to be like and what they can, you know, look forward to.
1: For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's more of a, um, we would try to create, we, our, our aim is to always like create tools that would be usable for the musicians. And we won't necessarily like do create something for the sake of creating it, if you know what I mean, um, because it's, it has to be useful um, for the end user. And I think it's, um, if, if we decide to go into a certain product that we've got to make sure that it can be improved on back yeah. to what's already exists in the market. Right. So, I mean, uh, it, yeah. Sorry.
2: No, I was just going to say like, you know, I was trying to go back to his original question and, and try and answer it in a in a real way rather than spinning out. Um, Like, I think the, as far as improving on, I think every, you know, I have things that, you know, it's like just when you think that you're all set, right. This is how, this is just how progress works, I guess, you know, like, for example, you've something come along like Oak Sounds Soothe. I don't know if you're familiar with that plugin, mm-hmm. but it's like just a insane multi-band compressor, sort of resonance, you know, um resonance compressor. And you know, it's a tool that just didn't just didn't exist before, you know, and, and it's kind of like, well, well duh, like, yeah, this is awesome. Like this works great. So I mean, there's always stuff, but as far as improving on things and and the things that what I would love to push for and and I'm a huge um, ambassador for um, creative augmentation, like with through AI, right? And I don't mean like having AI do things for you. I mean, using AI to, to bolster your own creativity, right? It's like doing a co-write, you know? You go you go in and you do a co-write with somebody and they say something and you're like, oh, that makes me think of something and I, let's do it this way. Like, Like, I think that in the future, like these small bits of artificial intelligence are going to be that for creative people. They're going to be catalysts. They're not just going to be, they're not going to be ma- you know, of course there will be plenty of them that are making stuff, you know, or whatever, like, it, and they're just not, you know, they're not there yet to like, you know, they will be Look, we'll all be out of work at some point. Cause let's be honest, directors, advertising agency people at some point, they're going to be like, yeah, this sounds good enough. Well, we don't need to call this guy, but, you know, I mean, there's always gonna be artists that, you know, that are true to the process and that things are important to, but, you know, eventually we'll all be at risk of being replaced by artificial intelligence as far as, you know, uh, making music for media is concerned. And it's not as far down the road as people might want it to be. But, I, but what I would, you know, answer your question, answer your question. I think little small bits of, of these bits of artificial intelligence that can augment your creativity and, and help to, Lead you along, or or take you on and take you to a different direction, or whatever. That's super exciting to me, and I think that that's something that has yet to be exploited inside a DAW. Like AI in the DAW is, I I I've, I know it's coming, and I would love to.
0: We haven't really discussed this, but that's something that really makes me excited. For sure. I mean, I, I've been uh, trying out all the AI orchestration apps and. Uh, yeah. people call me a madman for that, but. <laughs> oh, dude, I've,
2: trust me. Yeah. I, I, I've been talking with Pierre over at Ava mm-hmm. for years. I'm all, I'm all about that stuff. Like the, uh, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, it's all going to happen. The crazy, I mean, the craziest thing is the, um, it's not a Magenta project. It's, it's a Google project and it's called Jukebox, I think. And that blew my mind. It's been around for a little while, but you know, you've got all these, you know, these things, these AIs that are orchestrating things and and printing parts and yeah, the you know,
0: Bach doodle right too. I mean that they're, they're incredible. all crazy, but
2: yeah, <laughs> but the,
0: but the Google thing, right.
2: It's just, it takes the entire, entire recording, right? Like vocals, lyrics, it's a- a- absorbing everything and spitting out an entire new recording based on like the whole, that is like mind blowing to me. I don't know where, you know what I mean? It's like, I if you haven't, I think it's called jukebox. It's, it's bananas. Like they'll play it six Elvis records and go, Hey, give me an Elvis song. And it's like, you're like, Oh shit. Like this is going to happen. Like it's not, it's not even thinking drums, bass, guitar, vocals. It's thinking this is data. Like the entire piece of music is one solid piece of data and it's recreating it all at once. So there aren't, aren't any stems and whatever, but just the idea that, you can bypass all of that stuff and just put in music and get out music. Like it's crazy. It's bananas, super bananas. Anyway.
0: Yeah. You got me started. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Well, Azrael and uh, Danny, it was such a pleasure having you on the show. Oh, thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to this episode of Composer Talk. If you like what we're doing, feel free to follow us on Instagram or Facebook. The show is mixed and sounds great thanks to the incredible Eric Bard, who's also a talented composer, producer, and mixer. Until next time, this has been Matthew Wong.